everyone to our morning service here at the Boonville Church of Christ. Thank you for being here, especially if you're visiting with us today. Thank you for making this part of your day. Uh, if you would, please take the friendship register on the end of the pew and pass it down so that we can have a record of everyone's attendance. We come together this, this morning to uh, worship our Lord. Let's begin our time together in prayer. Our Father, thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon us. And Father, we know that sometimes we don't deserve all of the good things that you do for us. We pray that you will be with us and help us to be the kind of people you would have us to be in this community. We pray that we can shed the light of Jesus to the lost and dying world around us. We pray this morning that you'll be with Ken as he speaks to us, that we can take the things that he says and put it into our lives and that we'll be better people for having been here today. Help us to put aside the cares of this world as we worship you during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. morning. If you're using your hymnals, you can turn to number 47. Holy, holy, holy will be a first song this morning. Let's sing together. Holy, holy, holy,
under to be the psalm for our prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Father, we humbly approach your throne this morning. Of course, we want to start by giving you all the praise and glory. And Father, we also want to make sure that we are so thankful for all the wonderful things that you provide us and that you give us every day, especially those spiritual blessings that come through our friend, Jesus Christ. And Father, we are thankful for this moment to be together as your family and the church that meets here in Boonville. And and Father, we just pray that everything that we're doing this morning is in spirit and in truth. And Father, we just ask you to be with us as we worship you and that we lift you up and we keep our minds focused on you. And Father, again, we give you all the glory and praise. Father, we do want to mention individuals that need you. We want to lift them up to you this morning, and we're so thankful your hands in every situation, but we want to mention a few by name this morning. I ask you to be with Martha Eaton, be with Mike Bruce, Benji Yates, Ronnie Sarton, Rowan Baker, Justin Moreland, Sterling Phillips, Trent Moore, Please be with the Wade family, Father, in that situation. And then, of course, there's others that have lost loved ones and families that need your comfort, like the Wells family and and Dee Worley and, and her family. Father, I know there's so many more that need you and, and so many other names that need to be mentioned. And so as we pray and as we lift those up to you now, we just ask you to 
whatever needs to happen in those situations, that they happen according to your will and for the betterment of, of everything that's good and right and um, that you need to accomplish here in this world. Father, as we close this prayer and we continue our worship, I ask you to be with Brother Ken as he talks to us about faith this morning. And Lord, I pray that we have the faith that you need us to have. And Father, we pray that you forgive us of any sins that we might commit that get in the way of the faith that we need uh, so we can better, we can, we can expand your kingdom here, not only in this community, but across the world. It's in Christ's name we humbly pray. Amen. Song of invitation will be number 948. If you'd like to mark your hymnal, 948. Song before a lesson will be, Oh, to be like the 429. Would you stand with me as we sing this? Scripture reading this morning is taken from Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Mark 2, 5 through 7. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins 
but God alone. Good morning, everybody. This has been some week. Now, I know that a lot of you went to camp this past week. Congratulations, you survived one of the hottest weeks we've had in a long time. And it's great to see so many of your smiling, attentive, alert faces as you've returned to civilization. And we can only look forward to more weeks like that to come. Also this week, I don't want to say it's the unbelievable, but it's as close to unbelievable in our time in this society as a thing could possibly be. And that is that the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. Can, can, you, can you fathom it? I mean, I'm going to get this right now. I was born in 1964. <laughs> so I predate that decision by only a little bit. But, you know, that decision has affected my thinking for my whole life. And for the federal government now to be out of the business of aborting babies, and for us to live now in the state of Mississippi, I, I could not be happier. So for that to have been overturned, and for the states to begin to legislate, I guess, that moral issue... It's just an incredible victory. So I want to say it's unbelievable just from the sense of how it's gone for so long, yet it's not unbelievable, really. What have we been praying for for so long? What have we hoped for for so long? How many sermons have we heard or references made to the deaths that were mounting as a result of abortion? And finally... It just seems like something's going right. And I'm just, I'm just so very thankful to God for that. So those are great things that have happened this week. But also on Wednesday, Wade Davis went out to walk his dog, which is what he does every day. Took off on the same route that he always takes off on. And yet he didn't return home. And hasn't returned. And there's been a huge search undertaken by professional searchers from all over our state with all kinds of high-tech equipment. And they can't find him. I, I can't imagine what his wife is going through or the family is going through with all the questions that surround that. Uh, Brother Wade is a preacher in the North Ryanzi Church. I can't imagine what that service is like today with all those uncertainties. So we both rejoice in the good things that have happened, and uh, we, I don't know if, if we're set to rejoice or be filled with sorrow, but we're certainly concerned about. Uh, Brother Davis. So today, I guess undergirding some of that, 
is this matter of our faith. Now, we've been talking about the power of one throughout the year, and it's our intention to go through the rest of this year doing the same thing with the emphasis on some things that stand alone, and faith certainly is one of them. But today specifically, not just a lesson on faith, we want to talk about the power of one kind of faith. Before we start that, we're going to pray that God will bless us in that endeavor, and and also, well, we'll rejoice in the good things, and uh, we will be hopeful in things that are uncertain. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for this time now that we can be assembled together to worship in spirit and in truth. And Father, we pray that our endeavor together in this portion of our worship, the time when we are joining our hearts and minds together in a meditation upon your word, I pray that you'll help me to communicate all these wonderful things that are discovered in this text. But also, Father, I pray for those who hear it that be able to use it to make a determination today of just exactly what kind of faith it is that they possess. I pray, Father, that we all possess a a contagious sort of faith and not one that's been contaminated. Lord, as we assemble today, of course, there are things on our hearts and We just want to lay them at your feet so that we can be nourished today with your word. But, Father, on the one hand, we we just rejoice in in the good successes that were made with camp this week. And I'm sure that's probably true of all the weeks, but uh, we're especially affected because so many of our folks went. And so we rejoice and give you glory for the good that was accomplished. We also rejoice that... Uh, The Supreme Court overturned a ruling that has reigned supreme for so long. And we just pray, Father, that you will continue to right the wrongs that have been done in our country. And I pray that we will draw closer and closer to you through these efforts. And we pray your protection on those who have the courage to take such steps. And thank you for hearing our prayer on that subject. And Father, we also pray for Wade Davis, specifically for him as he's been away for so long. And it is our hope and desire that he is physically okay and will be found. But in all things, we resign ourselves to what your will is because uh, you know better than we. But Father, that's just our will. And we feel confident as your children that you want us to express how we feel about it. But Lord, aside from that, we also pray for his family right now. It's no doubt they're so severely stressed and anxious about it. We pray for his community. We pray for the church. And Lord, help us to have a faith that has feet Help us to do what it is that we can do in order to be a support and encouragement to this family. Lord, bless us as we filter these things out of our minds to give intention to the study of your word. And thank you for all that you'll accomplish through it today. In Jesus' name, amen.
you know this already, that faith is a powerful thing. All of us have faith. We have faith in something. Now, our emphasis here would be faith in God, specifically in Jesus. But you know that people who don't even believe in God still have faith in things. They, they trust, they depend. Today, I want to stress the fact that as regards the power of one faith, you will possess either one of two kinds of faith. That would either be a contagious sort of faith, which is a faith that multiplies itself. Not only does it dwell within you, but its effect is so powerfully good that it influences the people around you and makes for a better world. Either you have that contagious sort of faith or you have what I would call a contaminated faith. That is a faith that is in rejection of the truth. And even though it may believe part of the truth, it is so self-absorbed that it would reject it. And its influence on the world is divisive in the sense that instead of building up, it begins to tear down incrementally so that the effect that you have as a contaminated carrier of faith, that will have an evil effect on the world. Today is going to be a simple exercise for us taken as a reflection on Mark chapter 2 to determine for ourselves whether it is that we possess a contagious or a contaminated faith, whether it is that we're involved in multiplying or we are involved in dividing. Now again, I'll remind you that a contagious faith is one that multiplies. The text says, and again he entered Capernaum, after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together. So many, so the text says, that they could not receive anymore, not even near the door. And he, that is Jesus, preached the word. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they went on the roof and uncovered it. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son... Your sins are forgiven you. I want you to just soak in the moment. And I hope as you were reading that or as you, you heard me describe that for you, that an image came to your mind because that's the purpose of a narrative. To simply describe the events as they unfold so that you can develop a mental picture of what is happening. And I'll, I'll just tell you, 
Every time I read through that, I, I get this smile within myself, trying to imagine just exactly what that must have been like. So here's Jesus, and he's come to this house, and word's out that he's there. And so immediately, as soon as the word is out, everybody starts gathering in there. And the place becomes so packed that there's not even room at the entrance, at the door. People are having to stand outside. It is just elbow to elbow as Jesus is preaching the word to them. And and isn't that Jesus' effect seemingly every time? As soon as he opens his mouth to to share the profound truths of God, people are attracted to it. And not just those who are hopeful disciples. He'll also have some of what you would call his enemies or those who are trying to undermine him. In this case, we're going to find out that there were some scribes present. But Jesus is there preaching. And then all of a sudden, can you imagine it? Probably there is some noise from up above you or you start seeing a little bit of debris falling from the ceiling and then it gets worse and worse and that crowd that's been really tied against Jesus is starting to move back because things are starting to hit them and they're afraid. Maybe the building's about to fall down. Jesus looks up and what does he see? He he sees these guys tearing the roof apart. As they tear the roof apart, they've removed the tiles. Then they've taken the lath and all of the grass that was removed, uh, that had been put there in order to create that, that ceiling. And finally they get it wide enough that the four of them can drop their friend on that mat. So Jesus sees them. I, I, I presume that they've got ropes tied to this mat, this bed. They, they've dropped him down and he can see them. And then dangling right there in front of him is this paralytic. I mean, it's just the most amazing scene. Jesus immediately identifies some players here. The first thing that he notices is their faith. It wasn't that they wore these Christian-themed t-shirts that said, you know, we overcome by faith or something like that. Their faith was evidenced by their actions. Jesus saw their faith. The love and determination that they had was evident as they had dropped their friend into Jesus' presence. I think it's pretty astounding when you think about the kind of commitment on the part of those men of faith that was on display right there. Here are some people who love and are dedicated to a friend, so much so that they go to some great lengths in order to see to the very possibility that their friend who has been infirmed for who knows how long can find some kind of relief. And I don't know if you've experienced paralysis yourself, or you've been around someone who has been paralyzed, but I'm telling you, it is a plight many people believe that's worse than death. To have a desire to move and to reach and to feel and to experience, and that having been removed to you is a terrible experience to live through. But here are these friends who have taken up the cause They take up this cause because they believe 
that Jesus can do something about it. And here is how strongly they believe this. They believe it so strongly that they're willing to rip the roof off of a place in order to see that their friend has exposure to Jesus whom they confidently believe will be able to heal him. But not only do they have faith in him, they are determined, aren't they? Now, I don't know if you remember the design of many of these homes at the time, but it went something like this. Most places had a flat roof on them. You didn't have room inside for a stairway. They weren't that architecturally advanced. So oftentimes, the stairway that leads to the roof was actually on the outside of the house. And that makes sense, right? There were so many people in that house, you couldn't even go through the door. So these friends have carried their paralyzed friend for however long. Now they're going to manipulate with their steps very carefully to carry their friend up to the top of that roof. And when they get there, then they're going to have to determine kind of the general vicinity of where Jesus is below, of where he is, and begin to tear that thing apart. We don't care what, but we're going to get to see Jesus. And they are effective. But there are also those people who are not the kind of friends who look at a situation like this. And I don't know if this is you or not. I've found myself behaving this way before. Someone in a situation, you don't really know what to do except pray for them and you just voice it, right? I'm praying for you. How many times on a text or in a response to Facebook, all you know to do is to say, well, I'm praying for you. I've had someone say recently, you know, somebody told me, well, all I know to do is pray. And we say in response, well, that's the very best thing that I could do. I could be praying for you. Yeah, that's great. But these four friends were not among the group of folks who just simply say out of a knee-jerk reaction to just about every tragedy that comes along and deep out of their hearts, certainly feeling it, oh, I want to pray for you. These are not those friends. These are not the friends who just pat on the back and say, I hope everything goes okay. I'll be praying for you. These are the friends who put feet to their prayers who said, not only do I care enough to pray for you, but friend, I'm going to take you where you can find healing. I'm going to do something proactively to see to it that you don't stay this way. And then not only did they have that absolute confidence, but when they showed up, you know how it is. Got every good intention of doing the right thing, but oh no, circumstances are such, I'm sorry, we tried everything that we could, we brought you here to Jesus, oh no, he's so popular and there's so many people and probably a lot of others that need healing like you do and I tell you what, how about let's just wait and come back tomorrow. (laughs) That is not what these friends did. These friends loved their paralytic friends so much and had confidence and trust in the fact that Jesus could heal him, that they would not take no for an answer. They decided, you know what, we're going to the front of the line. 
And they climbed those steps and they dug out that roof and they dropped their friend right there into the presence of Jesus. I tell you, when I read that story, I just, I want to be like that, don't you? I want to have a faith that just explodes, or as I'm trying to describe it, that is just, it is just contagious. Just your faith is so powerful and so strong and so proactive and and so determined that it rubs off on everybody else around you. When they see you walking into the room, they know something is about to happen. Man, would I love to have a contagious, powerful faith like that that could rip the roof off a building. Oh, for a faith like that. Do you have it? Do you have that contagious sort of faith that will move mountains? That is contagious, not only in the effect of impressing others toward faith, but is never satisfied where you are. Is always striving to grow and grow. In those terms, I think of 2 Peter 1, 5 and following, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and a brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter even says, right here's the key. Just don't let that faith sit dormant. Have that faith growing in every direction. Have a, have a contagious sort of faith. And then the doors of heaven will just open wide for you. I love that. And I think of the comparison between the heavenly doors being opened and those men of faith just ripping the roof right off. But then I... I know the challenge we face. That's what Jesus spoke to in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, right? Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way which leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Again, could that not be better illustrated or could it be better illustrated than what we find right here? You know, we're going to make a way. We're going to make a way. We are going to see Jesus. Boy, I want a contagious faith. One that multiplies. But there's another faith that we're contrasting that with. That's a contaminated faith. That's a faith that divides. Now, when all of this is taking place and and Jesus says to this guy, son, your sins are forgiven you. You know, it's like, let's just put some exclamation points there and talk about the great success that has been had. 
But it says, as is often the case, sadly, when Jesus is preaching and teaching and something amazing happens, the Bible says that there were some scribes there who were sitting and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Wow. Now, first, I want to notice with you, if you haven't seen it already, I tried to emphasize it a little bit as we read it, but... So, on the one hand, contagious faith. Ken, we will do whatever it is that we need to do to see that this man, this paralytic, sees Jesus because we believe that he can heal him. We will climb up those steps. We will tear off the roof. We will bring him down with the ropes. We'll hold him in place as long as it takes, and then we'll bring him back up if necessary. We're committed. (laughs) But these people who criticize, who have nothing good to say, who want to undermine the success that has happened right in the presence of everybody in that abundantly filled and overcrowded room, they're sitting. Isn't that just how it goes? People of faith are busy doing stuff. People with a contaminated faith, people who just take the joy out of the lives of everybody else are just constantly just sitting around reasoning in their minds, mulling it over, wonder what's wrong with this scene. And they discovered it. He's blaspheming. He's taking the attributes of God for himself, saying that he can forgive somebody of their sins. In response to that, the text says, but immediately, that's with regard to Jesus, Immediately, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves thusly. And so he says to those scribes, why is it that you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins be forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? What do you say about that? So in their minds, they have this negativism going, and they're bringing Jesus down. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're not letting this pass. Immediately he responds because he feels the tug on his own spirit. This is not something that we're going to let lie because the question is regard to his own deity about who he is. No doubt what he had been preaching had been concerning the kingdom of heaven. And now they're challenging the very foundation of those truths. They essentially are saying, seriously, Jesus, come on. You come in here. They bring down their friend wanting healing. And what you do is you say, your sins are forgiven you. Now, obviously... We can't see if his sins were really forgiven. And he's still lying right there on that mat. So who do you think you are? But Jesus, in response to this, says this interesting phrase, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Stop right there. 
Jesus, in response to their speculation and their accusation, says, okay, I'll give you this. You can't tell if a person's sins are forgiven simply because I said so. That's something that's happening on the inside. That is a spiritual transformation that has happened beyond your purview. You can't see it. But I tell you what I will do. Just as much as I healed the man on the inside, I'm going to heal that man on the outside. So Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your mat and go to your house. Immediately, he arose, took up the mat and went out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus, what could you show us? <laughs> How about I show you what I did to him on the inside by healing him on the outside? And I love that. You know, Jesus tells him simply to arise, to take up his mat, and go to the house. Then in description of it, it's like everybody's pretty much speechless. I can imagine that you could have heard a pin drop if it weren't for all the debris laying around on the ground. And not only did he arise immediately, just as, just as Jesus had said it, but he took up that mat and he went out in the presence of them all. He didn't sneak out the back. He didn't ask the friends to drag him back up to the top. He walked out confidently that Jesus had healed him, the very Son of God, and he marched himself right on home. And when everybody else saw it, they're like, wow, we never saw anything like this before. Woo! What do you think could have happened had those scribes actually listened to what Jesus had said. You, you notice, they're not listening to Him preach the Word. They're sitting and reasoning in their minds. They're, they're thinking about how we're going to counteract what Jesus is saying. If they had just stopped to listen to what Jesus is actually saying to them. If, if they had listened, they probably would have come to understand at least a little bit, about how God sees things. And what I mean by that is a reference like Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6. Okay, so let's talk about Israel for a minute. Israel thought they were all that. They were rich. They hadn't been in war in a while. They're comfortable. They feel so blessed. Greatest nation on earth, they would tell you. But God shows what He sees in verse 6. God says that what He saw in Israel was their wounds, their bruises, their putrefied flesh. Ugh. So they think they're all that. Scribes think they're all that. We're sitting, reasoning. What does God really see? 
God sees what you are on the inside as though it were a physical manifestation. As though you were walking around putting on display what you are in your spirit. Not dressed up in a Sunday suit or a fancy dress, but what you really look like on the inside. As regarded Israel, God said, you look like you're wounded, you're beat up, you're bruised. You are so afflicted that your flesh is rotting. Maybe if they had listened to Jesus they could have seen where they really were. You know, the rotting flesh and all. And maybe they would have come to realize what Isaiah would later say in that very same chapter. Chapter 1, verse 18, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You might be wounded and bruised and putrefied, but I can change all of that. Jesus had come to change all of that. If only they had listened. If only they had come to repent instead of just to criticize. Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save, nor His ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He'll not hear. It isn't God's fault, it's our fault, it's our sin, it's our not listening. That very case itself was taking place in the early church, in the very first century as those who, especially Jews, had, who had been converted out of Judaism into Christianity, now were gravitating back to Judaism. It, it was in, unconscionable. What, what's going on with people? What are they thinking? In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 24, the Hebrews writer says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy? who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a beautiful thing for someone to drop you into the hands of Jesus and for him to forgive your sins and to remove your physical malady. But it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God when you have a contaminated, dividing sort of faith. But I will say this, that it is an obedient faith that will result in the salvation that was evidenced here and actually in this example is evidenced for us even today. I want to go back to verse 5 of this text. When Jesus saw their faith, 
He saw their faith. They didn't have to say, Jesus, we believe in you. He could see it by their actions. By their actions. Not just a verbal declaration of it, but what it caused them to do. That is what we would call an obedient, active faith. A faith, yes, just like those prayers we talked about a moment ago, that have feet associated with them. A faith that does something. A faith that transcends every other thought to the contrary and goes forward anyway. A kind of faith that says, I want to be with Jesus and I don't care what the obstacle, I'm going to make my way there because it is there that I will find the healing that I seek. Okay, so obedient faith in this case resulted in two statements that Jesus made to this paralytic. The first statement was, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And the second statement was, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. You know that for every obedient believer who lives today, every obedient believer who lives today, Jesus says exactly the same thing. If you have an obedient faith, that is a faith that says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe it so deeply that I'm ready to act in that obedience and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know that if you have that obedient faith, what Jesus said to that paralytic is what He says to you today. Son or daughter, your sins are forgiven you. Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. You say, well, kid, well, that, that doesn't even make sense. What are you talking about? I'm talking about Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. You get me? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Watch this now. You obey. Jesus says, okay, you obey. Your sins are forgiven you. Sins are forgiven as a result of us rising and going home. But what did we rise up out of? We rose up out of this watery grave of baptism. I obey in my faith and He buries me. He puts me to death. He washes my sins away. He cleanses my spirit. I literally physically rise up out of that water. But in the process of that, well nigh unto a miracle has taken place. And that is, I have become forgiven. I wonder today, is your faith contagious? Or is it contaminated? Does it multiply and affect others in a positive way? Or does it divide and destroy? There's an interesting thing that the people, and I'm taking it, including those scribes, the comment that was made when all of this unfolded and that man walked confidently right out of that house, we never saw anything like this. 
I'll tell you what, I have seen something like it. And most of us have, likely. And that is when that obedient believer is buried in this water, water like this right here. They die to their sins and they rise up. They rise up a new creature, just as that paralytic rose up and carried his bed out of that house. Today that could be you. That is the greatest act of Jesus in forgiveness because it meets the greatest need that we have. It helps us to face the uncertainty that's ahead of us. It makes us clean and pure. Are you in need of that transformation today? Let your faith become powerful. Have that power to cause you to leave that seat and to come obey the gospel. To demonstrate in our present something that is amazing to see. The transformation of one from death to life. If you're a child of God already and you've made mistakes along the way and you just need to, you need to get back on track. You need to have that same confidence that that paralytic had as he walked out of that building. Stepping high, confident for the Lord. You need to repent of something, get that out of the way. Let's pray about it today, okay? Let's leave it out of here, all of us. Transcendent. If there's anybody who needs to respond, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing.
survey the wondrous cross.
As we prepare to remember the Lord's death, if uh, anyone here doesn't have a communion packet, if you'll let me know, if you raise your hand, we have ushers that will see that one is provided for you. prepare our minds to partake of the Lord's Supper, I would like to read a few verses, familiar verses from Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Of course, it's talking about Jesus and the sacrifice that he would eventually and did make on, on the cross. So I will begin uh, with, with verse uh, 10, Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He, has, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my soul, righteous servant, shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So that's what the Lord has done for us, and so we come together today to remember that we need to let our minds go back to that sacrifice he made on Calvary's cross for our sins. We were without hope in this world until he was willing and until he did come to this earth and, and die on Calvary's cross. If you'll bow with me, we'll offer thanks for the bread. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for Christ, for his love for us, your love for us, and allowing your only son to come to this earth to die on Calvary's cross, that we might be made right in your sight through obedience to his will. Be with us as we partake of this bread. Help us to remember the sacrifice that was made there and the opportunities and privileges it affords us. And may we always be grateful for that sacrifice. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Give bow with me again, we'll offer thanks for the fruit of that. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this cup, the fruit of the vine, which represents the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary's cross for the remission of the sins of the world. We pray, Father, that we would remember and appreciate the sacrifice that was made there, that we would acknowledge the the power that's in this blood to that was in his blood to forgive our sins and help us to be ever grateful for that sacrifice. May we also partake of this in such a way that would please you. These things we ask in Christ's name. 
Amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper. Another act of our worship is, is our giving. We're instructed to give on the first day of the week as we prospered, as we purposed in our heart. We're to do so with a cheerful attitude. We have several uh, opportunities for you to give here at the building. I think there is a, a uh, place where you can leave your check as you uh, go out either door. And then if you look behind me here on the screen, you'll see other opportunities for you to give. So if you would, uh, bow with me and we'll offer thanks for the blessings God has given us. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this country that we live in. We're thankful for all the blessings that we receive every day. Help us never to forget that we're very fortunate to have the country that we have, to have the privileges and opportunities to, to work and to earn a living. And as we work and, and earn those, that living, we pray, Father, we would consider those that are less fortunate than we, that we could, would consider those that are lost, that have never heard the gospel and realize that the funds that we come in possession of are needed to carry the gospel throughout the world. So help us remember that we should be good stewards with all the things that you bless us with and help us to keep uh, foremost in our minds that the most important thing that we can do with those uh, possessions that you allow us to have for a time is to present your gospel and to provide the gospel to those that have never heard the gospel and to help those that have heard the gospel to be obedient to it. Go with us as we depart from this place uh, later today. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to bless us in every way. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning and welcome to the Sunday morning services here at the Boonville Church of Christ on this beautiful Sunday morning, June the 26th, 2022. We had 267 in, uh, services this morning. I have several announcements. Ladies, if you're interested in attending the Trans Transform Ladies Retreat, October the 13th through the 16th in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Please meet in the little chapel immediately following services this morning. I have a card here. Dear church family, thank you for all the calls, cards, gifts, prayers, and warm wishes. We are grateful for all your generous gifts, and we're looking forward to seeing you soon with Christian Love, Clark, and Brittany Martin. Uh, the Golden Circle will have breakfast at the Pit Stop in Corinth tomorrow morning. 
and the, the bus will leave from the annex at 8.30. So if you're going, be sure and be here by 8.30. And remember, don't order more than one biscuit because they're giant. I have a card here. Thanks so much to all of you who took part in the Freed Hardman Salad Luncheon and made it such a great success. Special thanks to the 40-plus people who made salads or uh, pot pies or brought watermelon and cantaloupe. And thanks to those who gave money to help buy the ingredients. Uh, we also want to thank all who worked in setting up and decorating for the luncheon and all of those who worked during the luncheon, about 29 people. It was a wonderful demonstration of co co cooperation and Christian service. All monies will be given to furnish scholarships to enable students to attend a, a Christian university. And this is signed, Janita Estes and all of the Boonville Freed Hardeman Associates. I have a couple of uh, prayer requests here. Wade Davis, uh, this is the gentleman from Ramsey who they have, who is missing. Uh, we need to remember him and his family in prayer. And Will Tennyson, this is the young man who had bone cancer. He's going back to St. Jude this week for some follow-up tests, so we need to remember him in prayer. That is all the announcements I have at this time. Would you please stand for our closing prayer? Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this day and the many blessings of life you bestow on us each and every day. Lord, we ask your blessings upon the congregation here at Boonville and the leaders of it. Lord, give them the wisdom and knowledge they need every day to lead us in a manner that's pleasing in your sight. Lord, we ask your blessings upon Mr. Wade Davis. Lord, we pray that if it be your will, that he will be found safe. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon Will Tennyson, who will be going back to St. Jude this week. Lord, we pray that he will receive a clean bill of health. And most of all, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.